This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, last week we reflected on the great feast of the baptism of the Lord. And I rehearsed for you some of the themes that are just redolent in the Scripture. We saw displayed as Jesus is baptized a great theophany, who God is, the voice of the Father ringing out from heaven, the Son standing in the muddy waters of the Jordan, the Spirit appearing as a dove. We see there the three divine persons displayed for us, that God is a play of love. Secondly, I suggested, we also see a reflection of creation. As the Father spoke at the beginning of time, let there be light. As the Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters, all that is called to mind in the baptism of Jesus because that baptism is a recreation of the world. Beautiful themes, wonderful themes. And then we saw that as we're drawn into the baptism of Jesus, we're drawn into the church. The church is meant to be the place of recreation where we can look to see what the world ought to be like according to the divine vision. I get the impression that the church feels there's so much richness in the baptism of the Lord that it doesn't want to leave. So this week, we hear St. John's reflection on the baptism. It's as though the church wants us to stay and pause a bit and say, let's, let's think and pray even more deeply about the meaning of this baptism. Listen to the little passage now from John. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You know, in the book of Revelation, when the seer looks into the throne of heaven, and it's announced that there's a scroll that's sealed with seven seals. There's only one worthy to open that scroll. The scroll, of course, is the meaning of all of history, what it's all about. And the voice says, one here is able to open this scroll. As we wait in anticipation with bated breath for this great powerful figure to emerge, we suddenly see the lamb standing as though slain. He's the one that can open the scroll. There's that delicious, wonderful, strange, surprising paradox at the heart of Christianity. Who's the one? Who's the one that we've all been waiting for? John the Baptist has been all throughout Advent crying out in the wilderness, this great Messiah is coming, this avenging angel with his winnowing fan in his hand who will express the divine wrath and vengeance on the nations. This great, powerful one's coming. I'm not even worthy to unloosen his sandal strap. And then the joke, the irony. Behold, he says, 
the Lamb of God. Who has come? Well, not some lion, not some bear, not some great mighty animal, some great mighty figure. Behold the Lamb, this little tiny, weak, vulnerable creature whose sole purpose in the Jewish imagination is to be led to sacrifice. In some ways here we come to the heart of what the baptism of the Lord means. Think of this for a second. John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance, calling sinners to him to seek humbly the forgiveness of the Lord. And to him comes this very figure whom he had been announcing. And this figure kneels before him seeking the same baptism. I think it's difficult for us at the distance now of 2,000 years, having heard this story over and over again, having seen pictures of it a thousand times, to sense the scandal, the strangeness, the surprise of it. Especially for John himself. The winnowing fan? Well, I don't see that. The one with fire in his eyes? I don't see that. I see the one who's humbly bending under my hand to receive my baptism? This makes no sense. And John says it. He kept trying to prevent him. Lord, it's I who should be baptized by you. This should not be. You know, Christians, does this call to mind another scene in the Gospels? When another disciple of goodwill, who partially gets it, objects to Jesus. Do you remember just after his confession, Peter has accurately said who Jesus is. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. But then when Jesus says, and my purpose is to go to Jerusalem and there be rejected by the elders and there be crucified, Peter says, Lord, Lord, forbid, God forbid that should ever happen to you. In both cases, John the Baptist and Peter, we have someone who partially sees. They partially understand. But they're only beginning to understand the real meaning of what they already know. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. What that means is that you must go to the cross. You are the one coming with a winnowing fan in his hand. You're the one coming to judge the nations. And what that means is that you will enter humbly into solidarity with the worst of us sinners. In some ways, friends, the gospel is the telling of that story, of what it means for Jesus to assume his identity and to fulfill his mission. It is the divine humility that saves us, that God comes, listen now, all the way down. It's one thing for God to stay in his heaven, to pronounce judgment on us from afar. How many of us, by the way, feel that way in relation to God? We spend our whole spiritual lives wondering how we can possibly please this distant and angry God, making so many demands upon us. That's not the Christian God. 
The Christian God is the one that said, I will come down to you. Listen, humbly bending under your hand. I will seek you out in the lowest places, in the dirtiest places. Jesus standing now in the muddy waters of the Jordan, shoulder to shoulder with us sinners. Assuming our sin, taking it on himself, bearing our sin. This is the great good news of Christianity. That God so loved the world that he sent his son, yes, even to that place. That we might find solidarity with God in our sin. The most popular movie right now in the country is The Lord of the Rings. I think I've mentioned to you before a few times that I'm listening right now on my car stereo to The Lord of the Rings. And it's a story that has uh, enraptured millions of people over the past about 50 or 60 years. The Tolkien trilogy. Millions have been captivated by it. And so most of us know the main lines of that story. At the heart of it is a ring of power, a ring that was fashioned many, many eons ago for the purpose of domination. St. Augustine defines sin as the libido dominandi, the lust to dominate. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of this great trilogy, was a Catholic, a deeply devout Catholic. And he's put Christian themes all through his story. You can see one of them here. The ring, the ring of power, it symbolizes sin, which is why it's a ringlet at the heart of which is nothing. Augustine said that sin essentially is a form of nothingness. It's non-being. So the ring is a great symbol of that. Power and non-being. Well, through an odd set of circumstances, as Tolkien tells his great story, this powerful, dangerous ring, symbolic of sin, meant for mighty kings, falls into the hands of the unlikeliest character in the story. Little Frodo Baggins, who's the hero of the story, is a hobbit. It's a halfling, someone about three feet high. Of all the figures and characters in Tolkien's world, which include dwarves and men and wizards and elves, the hobbits are the smallest, the tiniest, kind of the funniest, the oddest, the least significant, the most overlooked. Into the hands of this hobbit comes the ring. What does he resolve to do? He resolves courageously to bear it, to carry it, all the way back to the terrible mountain in which it was forged and there to destroy it. This ring draws to this good-hearted hobbit all of the evil powers of the world. Every evil force comes out because they're drawn to the ring. They want it. They want it. So they're after him. They're drawn to him. And this little figure who envisioned a quiet life for himself suddenly finds himself the focus of all the evil of the world as it comes upon him. And then as he bears it, as he bears it, he feels the weight of it, and he feels the temptation of it, as he himself is drawn to use it. 
but he doggedly traipses on through this terrible ordeal, through a terrible series of trials, until he finally comes to the place where he can destroy the ring. Now, why do I rehearse this story now in light of this reading? Tolkien knew what he was doing as he portrayed Frodo Baggins as one of the most powerful Christ figures of the 20th century. Who is Christ? This humble figure that comes to John the Baptist amidst sinners. This Lamb of God, not a mighty lion, this Lamb of God. What's his job? His job, his mission, his terrible mission, is to bear our sin, to bear the power of darkness, if you will, this ring of power that has bedeviled the human race from the beginning. His job is to bear it. What does it do? It draws to him all of the dark powers of the world. Notice in the Gospels how all the dark powers come out to meet Jesus and to cut him down. Until finally at the end of the day, as he's carried this ring, this, this burden of sin, all the way back to its origin in death itself, Jesus is able thereby to destroy the power that this has held over us. It's the humble servant, the simple servant, the bearer of our pain, the bearer of our sin, the one who stands shoulder to shoulder with us in love and forgiveness and solidarity. He is the one that the church proclaims. Notice something now as I close. Every time at the liturgy, when the priest holds up the body and blood of Christ, he repeats the words of John the Baptist from this gospel. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what this reading is about. It's telling us who Jesus is in his deepest identity. Behold the Lamb of God, the simple, humble servant who out of love has borne away from us that which most bedevils us. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a savior we have in this lamb. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, Call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.